Hello everyone and thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Ella, your host, and today we're going to talk surrogacy. And I'm here with Cassandra Capaxis from Simply Surrogacy. They're based in Parramatta in Sydney. Thank you, Cassandra, for joining me today and how are you? I'm very well and very, very excited to be on this podcast today. Me too. I'm really excited that you're here. So surrogacy is one of the many ways of achieving family goals and dreams, and we can't ignore it. It's uh, a part of someone's story if they are going through surrogacy. Um, But I have to say it is quite complex and we have strict laws in Australia around surrogacy and the information can be quite spread out and you could be Googling for hours and going from one Facebook group to another Facebook group. Um, So I just really wanted to break it down for our listeners who might be thinking about um, surrogacy or they perhaps need more information. But before we get into that, I'd love it if you could introduce yourself and just tell us us a bit about your practice. Absolutely. So in my day-to-day life, I am a family and fertility lawyer. So I run a, a, a practice, as you mentioned earlier, called Simply Surrogacy. We're based in Parramatta, but service clients Australia-wide. Um, and we have some clients who we've actually serviced who are living abroad and are expats um, from Australia, living in countries like Greece and France and things like mm-hmm. that. So It's been really exciting um, in that regard. In my practice, we do everything from surrogacy law to IVF, disputes about embryos and gamut material, um, donor agreements. So we're very heavily playing in the reproductive technology space. Um, And in my non-lawyer life, I'm a mum to two beautiful children, a wife um, and a really, really busy human. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. As we all are as mothers. I bet. Um, still doing the um, yeah. daycare run, school run, and then having to. Oh my God. <laughs> daycare run, piano lesson run. I feel like my kids have a better social life than me, yeah. but I'm just, you know, the one drinking in the car going from me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so because we are living in Australia, uh, commercial surrogacy is not legal here. Yeah. So I thought we'll just discuss altruistic surrogacy. And so just so everybody is on the same page, can you just explain the difference between altruistic and commercial surrogacy? Yeah, and this is one of the most frequent questions that we get asked. Um, So basically in Australia, um, if you are an intended parent, so somebody who's looking to become a parent through reproductive means like surrogacy, um, you are not able to physically pay another person to carry your child. So what the law says in Australia is that you can pay the surrogate's reasonable medical and legal expenses associated with being a surrogate but you can't actually give them money to be able to carry your baby. That's what we call commercial surrogacy. And you'll see those arrangements being in place, you know, in various other countries across the world. But in Australia, if you um, delve into the world of commercial surrogacy, it actually carries very hefty fines and also a term of imprisonment. Okay, so with that in mind, would you say it's imperative for the intended parents and the surrogate to seek legal advice before they start any sort of treatment and even before seeing a counsellor? When I go to expos and things like that, I'm always asked this question, you know, when do I see you? And I always tell people, look, find a surrogacy lawyer that you like and that you click with and just go in and get some information. 
sit down, talk about what's unique for your family because not every family is the same. We know that. And we know that the way that you might want to create this life with, you know, the surrogate that you've chosen or want to find might be unique and bespoke for your family. So it's always a good idea to get that information because we know that the pathway to surrogacy isn't easy. It's not quick. It's expensive. And you want to be making sure that you're making the right decisions with the assistance of the right professionals Um, instead of Dr. Google and other places which can unfortunately give quite conflicting and conflated um, messages which really can either put people off or set unrealistic expectations. So what sort of conflicting information are you talking about? So at the moment um, I've had a really good insight into this because I'm in the middle of writing a surrogacy book. So I had a really great focus group that I reached out to and said, what are the top three things that have, you know, prevented you from going down the road of surrogacy? Mm. Everyone has said, the more time I spend online, the more confused I am. Yeah. Because <laughs> everybody's got something to say, it. right? That's exactly right. <laughs> and you get these sites that say, oh, yeah, you can do this. And then you'd work out that that's not even an Australian site, that it's somewhere else or you know, someone had an experience 10 years ago in the surrogacy space and we've got clients who we still speak to from, you know, periods back then, but the law was so different then. Mm. Their journey is nowhere near the same as what people's would be now. So it's really confusing to be online, on your own or with your partner, trying to navigate that space without having the professional advice behind you because the temptation is just to close the computer and be like, nope, too hard Mm. don't worry about it let's park that idea um and really it's quite sad because ultimately i think when you're armed with the right information and you see the right professionals a lot of that stuff gets clarified and people kind of have that aha moment where they're like yes we can do this and it just becomes really simple okay let's talk about the right information and if someone's sorting out legal advice what can both parties expect from a legal agreement So when you say a legal agreement, I'm thinking you're talking about a surrogacy agreement. Correct. Um, So we know that in order to get a parentage order, which is what everyone wants at the end, which is that piece of paper sealed by the court which says that this child is yours, Mm. um, that ultimately we have to have a surrogacy agreement. Now, surrogacy agreements are not binding. They're not a legal document that you get to wave around in court if something was to ever happen and say, well, this is exactly what's going to happen. But what it does is it sets the party's intentions. And the way that the surrogacy process is designed in Australia, particularly New South Wales, um, is to be able to check in with the parties at each step of the way to remind them, this is what we have agreed on. This is what everyone's intention is, that i.e. the surrogate is going to transfer this child to the intended parents after the birth. And what I always say to my clients, and this isn't what everyone else does, but being a mother and being someone who's investigated this pathway, Mm. I always say to them, this is your opportunity to make this agreement as bespoke and unique to your circumstances as you like. If it's not an enforceable agreement in court, but we have to have it in order for you to get a parentage order, use the opportunity to go through every single factor of this pregnancy and the birth that you want to and document it down with your surrogate so that it's an agreement amongst everyone 
and that everyone's expectations are set from the get-go. So the kinds of things that I generally see people doing or encourage people to do is talk about, okay, how many times is the surrogate going to go through the insemination process before we pull the plug? How many babies are we all happy with? How many times, um, you know, do we want to go off to the doctor? Who's the OB? Are we all happy with the OB? And generally that's the surrogate's choice. But sometimes we have some incredible humans in that space who say, actually, I want the intended parents to have a choice in that. And these are conversations that if they happen from the outset with the, the surrogate and the intended parents, that relationship and the bond is just, it goes from strength to strength. And we see that all the way through the process. Okay. And um, do both parties sit with you to agree on the finer details? Normally, I would act for one of the parties. So I might act for the intended oh. parents. And then what I would say is, you have an amazing surrogate. This is, you know, the name of some other incredible firms who are highly experienced in this space for the surrogate to go off and get her own independent legal advice. Because ultimately, oh. um, we want to make sure that people who are entering in this space are doing it consensually who are doing it mm. knowing full well what the expectations are and also knowing that they are agreeing to everything that's being proposed. We want everyone to be comfortable. Of course, I want my clients who are the parents going into this to be comfortable, but the most important person in this process, in my view, is the surrogate because they are doing something that is so important. Ultimately, we want to be making sure that you know, she's making the decisions that sit best for her and she's doing that free from pressure, coercion or any outside influence. And that's where this other lawyer is really, really important. Uh, does the surrogacy pay for the lawyer or the intended parents? No, the intended parents would. And that comes part of those reasonable legal and medical expenses. Right. So anything associated with you know, the pregnancy in terms of an expense. So if the surrogate's going off to see the doctor and there's a gap, um, you know, in the insurance or whatever it is that normally the intended parents would pay for, the intended parents would fit the gap. Um, in the event that there was a legal appointment, the intended parents would pay for mm -hmm. that. Um, and how that happens really is bespoke and unique to each of the parties. So there might be a situation where the surrogate pays for it at first instance and then the IPs or the intended parents reimburses them. Or the intended parents simply say, look, you know, um, we're happy to come along to you with these appointments. We'll pay mm -hmm. for it. So um, that's generally unique to each family. And I often tell people, you know, a massage is definitely a medical expense. You should definitely be paying for a massage for a, um, a surrogate. And if the surrogate wants to see an acupuncturist or a dietitian, will they all fall under the banner of uh, medical definitely. expenses? Because ultimately, you know, that's in the the best interests of the baby, making sure that pregnancy is going really well, making sure that all of those risk factors are catered. And they're the kinds of conversations that we would encourage people to have. You know, what? where is the line between what is considered a medical expense and what isn't? And, you know, what does everyone agree to? And is it the case that everyone thinks that that's related to the pregnancy? And it's actually really beautiful to see those conversations take place because, I've never yet had anyone turn around and say, um, you know, 
really we think that that's an unreasonable medical expense when somebody else is creating a baby or creating life for them. It's it's actually a really lovely process to see how that unfolds. Actually, that's a really nice segue to my next question. So I'm sure that you want to see both parties have a real positive and happy agreement and experience. However, for this episode, I really want to touch on things that might go wrong. Yeah. Um, now, if an IP intended parent or a surrogate um, is listening to this, at least they're able to prepare themselves and think about how to avoid having some of these issues. So let's discuss what are the most common issues that come up. Um, Thankfully, the most common issue comes up probably before we get too far down the road. Um, And again, thankfully, this is why the process for the surrogacy journey is so important so most most often than not I will have um, people come in to see me who'll say we've chosen ex-surrogate and um, she's indicated she's really happy to do this and we've all had a conversation and we're ready to go and they're generally the people that are like oh we don't want to have to do all of this other stuff can't you just draft the agreement and we'll get it done Um, and Mm -hmm. I have to push back on them and say, actually, you know, there's a process. You need to go off and you get your pre-insemination counselling. We need to make sure that the IVF clinic has approved everyone. And at that first instance, if there's a problem, it's going to come back in that pre-insemination counselling report where it might be the case that these really amazing, experienced, qualified psychologists and psychiatrists who work in this space have said, actually, this person isn't the most appropriate person to go down that pathway. And that's why we make people sit down and engage in that process because giving up a child mm. is difficult. It, it doesn't matter um, how strong you think you are or how committed to the process you are. That, that process yeah. is huge and we know that it comes with a cost emotionally to the most surrogates and that's why um, it really is so important to mm. be choosing the right people and to getting in getting the right support to be making that choice so really that's when I see problems unfold is when we get that report back and I actually have to say to my clients look you know the report's pretty clear um, you're going to have to go away and think about whether or not that's the right person because at the moment it doesn't sound like it is and I'm concerned about whether or not mm. you'll even get your parentage order and that's the other problem that you've got is if I've got clients who say, actually, no, we don't care, you know, we want to go down that pathway and, you know, I don't think it would, ever would because the IVF clinic would rightly turn around and say, no, we're not mm. satisfied that they're the right person. Um, the concern always is then, well, legally, this baby belongs to the surrogate and if at the end there's going to be an argument about whether or not um, a parentage order should be made if the surrogate is actually the legal birth right of this child well, then that would be a massive issue for intended parents. So that's why we try and nip these things in the bud really, really early by getting these reports. Sounds really thorough and it really no is. stone is left unturned. Yeah, it really has to be. And there's these, you get people, pockets of people who come in and they say, um, and look, this has happened once or twice in my career. Uh, you know, we've done this home insemination thing where we haven't gone through a clinic and now so-and-so is pregnant and it's a surrogacy and that's when I just kind of put my hands up and say sorry guys I'm not the right person to help you you really need to consider um Mm. you know whether or not I'm the right fit or if you need to go and see someone else because without these policies and procedures in place 
Mm. You can imagine how quickly this arrangement can fall apart. It sounds like the common issues um, will be around the relationships between both parties and how to navigate everyone's wants and needs. Whereas I was thinking it's most probably the financial side of things and what is deemed acceptable um, to pay for and not to pay for. It really is. Um, And I think the problem, it's not a problem, but I think the issue is for most parents who have gone down this road of assisted reproductive technology, we all arm ourselves, and I'm speaking from experience, you get to the stage where you want to create a baby and you know that this is going to be expensive. You just know. You start getting quotes for things and you're like, yeah, okay, right, Mm. this is what we have to do. Most people who find themselves in that boat are like, we just want to have a baby. Like, mm. let's do what we need to do. We know that this is what we have to do. Yeah. But when it comes down to it, it's the dynamic between these humans who are going to have to um, have a relationship at some point. And that relationship, in my view, is really important post the baby arriving because ultimately I want to help intended parents who want to be able to continue to have a relationship with their surrogate and the baby moving forward. And most of my clients do because they know the intended parents in some fashion where they're going to be interlinked forever. And then what I have the pleasure of seeing is this amazing family dynamic where people have literally come together as a community to be able to create a life that everyone loves, appreciates and adores. Pretty much sounds like the saying, takes a village to raise a family, but in this case, it takes a whole village to create Totally takes a village in this day and age. Yeah, absolutely. It's you know it's so it's so common, and um, most of the surrogates that I uh, are introduced to, or people who have come forward and said that they wanted to do it, are either really good friends or family members or extended family members mm. who have seen firsthand um, what has been a really difficult journey. Or you know, biologically, if you can't have a baby. Um, just that yearning to be able to have a child and them just stepping in and saying, I want to help, let me help. Mm. Yeah, it's such a gift when someone can do that. Absolutely, absolutely. Look, if there are any issues between the intended parents and the surrogate, do you mediate? Because um, the surrogate has a different lawyer, do you all come together in one room and, yeah, you mediate? How does it work? This is unique to each individual lawyer that you retain. So if it's an issue that can be um, discussed amongst the parties, we will definitely say, look, you know, this issue has arisen. It appears that really what needs to happen is a conversation. Maybe this is best done through the fertility counsellors. If that doesn't work and we think, okay, it's an issue that needs to go to mediation, we will most definitely do that. Um, But ultimately, if those issues arise, I'm always reluctant as a lawyer to, at first instance, write off on a legal letterhead to another lawyer because um, I understand that as a lawyer and as a human, I could literally write the nicest letter possible. But when it's delivered on a letterhead that comes with the word lawyer underneath Mm. it, what happens is people's amygdalas just take over and the emotional part of the brain receptor just kicks into gear and all they hear is lawyer, lawyer, conflict, conflict. And it's not the best way to do it. Mm. So I might get on the phone to, you know, the surrogates lawyer and say, look, my clients told me this is an issue. I'm really thinking that this is something that could be best dealt with by the fertility counsellor. What do you think? 
Generally, the answer nine times out of 10 is absolutely, sounds like a great idea. And then those specialists in the room are able to deal with it. And if they say, look, it's probably something that we can sort out amongst ourselves, we might go mm. to what's called a roundtable conference where the lawyers get together in a room with the clients and we just say, look, guys, you know, we understand that this is an issue and we understand that you're both committed to creating a life together in what is a really beautiful, dedicated, committed fashion. So let's just have a conversation and let's try and see if we can unpack it and work it out. Normally, most of the time we can because those bigger issues that would cease or halt mm. the surrogacy from taking place are normally dealt with at that first instance with the counsellor where there's a problem and that comes to light. The other thing I think is really important, Ella, and I'll just say this, is um, anything to do with like um, the surrogate's body is really the surrogate's choice and that's something I want to be really clear to people. If, if someone's carrying a baby, ultimately mm. they're going to get the say about what happens with their body. So that's really important that people have that expectation too. Um, you can't be going into a lawyer's office and saying, oh, you know, um, she must give birth yeah. through a cesarean, for example. Well, no, you don't get to make that choice. That's the surrogate's choice. As long as the baby's being delivered in a healthy fashion, in a healthy fashion then that's where your decision is going to be made yeah. as an intended right. parent. But you don't get the rights to be able to mediate mm -hmm. anything to do with a surrogate's well-being or anything like that. And does it go one step further, um, the discussions such as does the surrogate breastfeed once the baby's born? It is such a good question. Um, that is something I really encourage everyone to talk about. So for most people, um, the conversation about breastfeeding is really important or skin-to-skin -skin contact mm. or what's going to happen after the baby's born. Yeah. So these are, these are things that definitely need to happen as part of the surrogacy agreement in my view because it sets the expectations for nine months while this is all happening mm. and everyone's got nine months to be able to work up to that agreement. So it's definitely something around breastfeeding where everyone needs to have that conversation. Are you comfortable with the surrogate breastfeeding? Ultimately, that's a decision that should be made together because whilst it's about the surrogate's body, it's also about a baby being given contact with the surrogate. What we generally see for people who don't want that skin-to-skin -skin contact to happen directly with the surrogate but the intended parents prefer it is that they might come to an agreement where the surrogate might express, formula, uh, express breast milk for a period of time and then that gets delivered to the intended parents. Some couples that I've had have been fine for breastfeeding to take place and, in fact, have lived with the surrogate for a period of time whilst the baby was exclusively breastfed to ensure that that was happening. Oh, wow. And these decisions come back down to, again, each individual family and the bespoke preferences that sit with your values and who you are. So in a nutshell, everybody's expectations have to be on the same page. And that is the most important thing. It's having that forthright, open relationship with your surrogate and the intended parents is the most important ingredient um, in being able to encourage a surrogacy to go well. And I make that abundantly clear when people come and see me. Yeah, it might be good that someone's put their hand up to say that they'll do it, but you need to be feeling 100% comfortable and being on the same page with that person. Now, not everybody likes talking about money. It's um, one of those things, though, when you're entering in a surrogacy agreement. Um, now, does the surrogate pay for things and then is reimbursed or... Um, mm -hmm. Does the intended parents set up 
an account and money is deposited, just say every week or every month, and then receipts are presented? So this is, again, generally a question for each individual family. Um, Knowing that you cannot pay commercially for a woman to carry your baby, we'd like to be able to make sure things are really transparent. So generally the intended parents would pay for things um, and they would set up. So if they wanted to go to a private hospital, they would be setting up health insurance and that would come out of their accounts and then the surrogate might have a card um, or alternatively, if the surrogate's paying for things up front, that there would be a receipt and that there would be a very transparent type of um you know, transactional history to be able to demonstrate that this was, in fact, an altruistic Mm. surrogacy. And that's something that we often speak about and it goes in the agreement so that, again, it's been made very plain what is going to happen, who's going to pay for what what instance, um, to be making sure that we tick those boxes off because when we're looking to get a parentage order, that is definitely something that the court is looking at. Ah, really? So does the courts look at the receipts in order to make sure that everything's above board? They won't look at receipts, but they will. They have to satisfy themselves that it's an altruistic surrogacy. And if we've got the appropriate paragraphing in there around payments of things and what the agreement is, well, then we're ticking off those boxes to make sure that it's all done appropriately in addition with some other criteria that the court will look at. What advice would you give to someone looking into surrogacy? What would be their first steps? Oh, okay. Um, go to seminars. Go to seminars held by professionals, go to the expos, get your information from the experts who are there. Um, The more time you spend online, in forums, the more confusing it likely is to be. Um, And I think it's good to be in those forums to be able to get little snippets of information here and there, but know that unless that's an expert forum, you're not getting the right information most of the time. And really, it's best to be able to be considering what is right for you and your family when you're making that decision and doing it early on, being able to plan for your journey, knowing that you've seen all of the relevant professionals and then going through and creating this agreement is paramount and having the conversation with the right people around surrogacy. So we know that in New South Wales you're not able to advertise for a surrogate because ultimately that also comes with a huge fine and then there's, um, you know. I, I'm sorry, can, can you repeat that? You cannot advertise for a surrogate in New South Wales. Really? No, you cannot publicise um, to be able to engage a surrogate. So if you were to put up a post or something like that on social media, you can find yourself in significant hot water. So I won't say what I've seen on some of the forums then. Oh, well, I'm not hearing this, Ella. <laughs> um, but we know that, you know, everyone, like, talk about it and talk about it often at lunch with your friends. Talk about it and talk about it often with the right professionals. Mm-hmm. And it's the education piece around this that's really important because I feel like surrogacy is a bit like living in the prohibition era Mm. where everyone's really keen to be able to go into the underground and do all of these exciting things, but no one talks about it. Um, And when we look to places like Italy, for example, where they're in the same boat where surrogacy is completely unlawful and there are people out there who are trying to change that space but are too scared to be able to do that on a high volume level because of the consequences Mm. whereas here i think um altruistic surrogacy is amazing we've got the right system in place we've got the right 
facilities to be able to support surrogates and intended parents, what needs to happen is to start talking about it so that we are in a position where people can actually readily access information instead of living in this really fearful, confusing space. That's some really good advice. Now, you mentioned that you're writing a book. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? So essentially, it's a guide to surrogacy um, based on the feedback that I've been getting from my clients over the last 12 months and also just people who are in this space. It's it's really confusing. People just do not know what they need to do. And I really just want to be able to make this really simple mm. for people, also having navigated the space myself. I want people to be able to pick up a manual and just say, right, okay, this is what's happened. This is the next step. This is what I need to do. These are the people who I need to see. So we're currently working on that, my team and I at the moment, to hopefully have it out by Mardi Gras next year, which is going to be really exciting. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, just I'm planning to spend the next 12 months just hopefully doing these expos and going around and talking to people around surrogacy so that we can start changing the conversation and everyone can be in the position where they Mm. get to go through the journey of being a parent because I think it's so important. That's fantastic. That's really good news to hear because it is needed, the education and to put light on the subject. We've really packed a lot into 30 minutes. So if someone wanted to have further conversations with you, how can they get in touch? So the best place generally is our website, which is www.simplysurrogacy.com.au. We also are on socials, so you'll find us on Facebook and on Insta. You can get in contact with us via DM or you can put in an inquiry on our website. Our website also has a ton of free information. You don't even need to put your email address in. Um, There's checklists, there's downloadables, there's templates that you can use. So it's a real wealth of information for people who are trying to navigate the surrogacy space and are just starting out. Mm. Um, and we'll also have a really exciting product going up there hopefully in the next few months. So watch this space for the big reveal. Ooh, that sounds really exciting. I'll be sure to keep a lookout for that. Very exciting. Cassandra, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. It's really appreciated. You've really broken the process into bite-sized pieces that I'm pretty much sure that someone who is on their surrogacy journey will be able to utilise this episode. Uh hope so and look you know just it's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure being able to speak to you because I think the work that you're doing in this space um, is just incredible Ella so thank you so much for the opportunity and for the work that you're doing oh thank you so much Cassandra thanks so much for the encouragement it means a lot so again thank you again and in the meantime look after yourself and keep safe you too thanks Ella